For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The Team Never Quit podcast is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. Partner with Navy Federal Credit Union to pay down credit card debt. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Yeah, you're going to deal with anxiety, depression, anger, but you can respond to it in a better way that's going to you know, lead you in the right place. And that's what the Bible did for me. And, and it led me to restoration and hope and ultimately to find a new purpose. And it purposefully manifested for me in, a, in a, the starting of Mighty Oaks Foundation, just wanting to pay it forward to others. Never quit. Never quit. Never quit radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Don't buckle up, Buttercup. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Team Never Quit Podcast. Remember, guys, make sure to check out our social media pages at Team Never Quit, where you'll find all our latest news, see special updates, and for our Patreon subscribers, some pretty sweet exclusive drops coming soon. We have a very good show today for you guys. Uh, we have on Chad Robicho and Dennis Price. Uh, let's kick this off with our Patreon question of the day before we get into that, uh, which is, if you were given a one-minute ad slot during the Super Bowl, what would you fill it with? Oh, man. What kind of commercial? <laughs> I'd, I'd say, for me, uh, I, w- I would do something regarding... I mean, everything I promote, every time I get a chance to promote something, I, I promote Mighty Oaks uh, or, or, you know, in the service to our warriors because it's, to me, it's one of the biggest crises in our country right now. It's just something, you know, I think our nation needs to be know what our veterans are dealing with after 20 years of war and being uh, in, you know, America, the American communities around the world is the ones who sent our troops out to you know, defend our country. And when they come home, they need to be embraced and, and welcomed home by, by the, those same communities. So I'd be, a, I'd be, you know, advocate for making sure Americans know what's actually going on in our veteran community and, and how they could help. Very nice. I like that. I feel like you had that one holstered yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Real smooth on that delivery, man. I, I feel like Super Bowl commercials are always so, they need to be fun. They either need to be a tearjerker or really funny. What about you, Dennis? He, he pretty much <laughs> got the same answer. Yeah. I promote a, a nonprofit that helps troops out, that brings... Uh, the focus back to uh, what is really important outside of a football game, you know, uh, our freedom, supporting the troops and the real stuff that's going on outside of our uh, direct world and uh, part of the bigger picture and helping out. 
I think I changed mine. Mine would be an anti-woke message. Yeah. <laughs> I freaking hate the woke. The, the thing that first hit my mind before I answered, because I, I paused for a second, because I didn't even know you were, he was talking to me. That's <laughs> <laughs> I paused for a second. But the thing that first hit my mind was like a message of unity. Yeah. Because uh, real unity. Because uh, it seems like everything's meant to meant to divide right now. It is. The, and the whole I woke agenda that. is meant to divide. And I hate that we can't just be honest and have constructive conversation and and solve problems i'm naturally a a problem solver so when you have to just skirt through issues because you might hurt someone's feelings that just drives me freaking crazy i'm like let's just cut all the bullshit and just be honest get it out of the way and then and then work together yeah truth truth hurts people's feelings and that's okay (laughs) so my my super bowl would have something to do with that probably minutes a long time minutes of yeah very long time so i take every motivational commercial that we ever had coming up yeah those little moments oh yeah (laughs) that i mean everyone's ever heard of american moments right with that had that good background at League Blue playing or something, like some Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. And then every one of them flashing through in, in, in session. So each generation sees their kind of their, their self in that commercial. Yeah. And the way you deal with something that, that's designed to cause chaos like that, you got to jujitsu the crap out of it, man. Yeah. You use its weight against it. If you try to go against it, you'll fight all day. You got to actually create something that's more powerful for it and push in that same direction, right? <laughs> it consumes everything else. Can't even, yeah. You won't even pay attention to that ever if there's something else doing it. For sure. But we've got some good ones. Over time, I, it, it, ever since the, the YouTube and everything came online, man, you, you can hear that stuff when we were kids. That we yeah. probably never had access to. Yeah, I, I, this generation used to go back and we were talking before the show started about our generation. Go back and watch some uh, some American Ninja. Oh, I, don't, so I, don't good, mean, I don't mean American Ninja Warriors. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> like, all those. The, uh, Just... Some Chuck Norris, Delta Force. <laughs> I saw a commercial the other day I had when Van Damme was doing the splits between mm-hmm. the two Volvos and it had Chuck in between the two airplanes <laughs> <laughs> with the flight attendants hanging yeah. off of him. Dude, I thought that was great. We love Chuck Norris. He's great, man. And we actually got to meet him. Um, Marcus got invited to be the speaker at one of his um, fundraisers, one of Chuck Norris's fundraisers. And they had Marcus come out to actually tell Marcus's story, but he gets up there and the entire hour that Marcus was to talk, he told Chuck Norris jokes. The entire time and I happened to be sitting next to Chuck Norris and he's like, What he couldn't hear what Marcus was he saying. He can't hear. He can't he hear very well. Oh he's he like, What is he saying? And I was like He's just talking really good about He's bragging you. about you like you can't believe, man. I Which he was. Other, dude, I was. Yeah. I heard one the other day that said Chuck Norris threw a grenade and killed 50 people. Then the grenade went off and killed 20 more. <laughs> I never heard that one. <laughs> one of my coolest stories. I don't have any proof of this, but at, we were at a, at, a, at, a, at a function. I'll leave it at that. And then we walked into in the bathroom, three urinals, Chuck Norris, President Bush, and myself. Yeah. yeah, that's a good story. <laughs> and I wanted to ask somebody to take a damn picture. <laughs> but or a cartoonist. No, I, you know, I was you like, oh, Chuck Norris, and there's a damn president, man. 
It was, it was that's cool. pretty cool. It was cool. <laughs> yeah, right? that's yeah. cool. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, so much so that I was like, I had to get, I get somebody to recreate, guys. recreate that picture, like draw it. Have a painting. Yeah, yeah painting. That would be great. It's all three of you from the back of you. Dude, like, <laughs> just kind of staring at attention, you know? Like not doing that. It should be the with the bubble going. Holy shit, it's Chuck Norris. Holy shit. <laughs> oh my god. This is stream peeing each other's urinals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got a bottle of Chuck Norris water in the back of my truck, and my I was cleaning it out the other day, and my son Axe was throwing all the garbage out. I was like, "No, nah, no, nah, you gotta, gotta keep that Chuck Norris water in the back." Oh, he's selling. He has like some kind of access to some certain water, right? That he yeah, 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 yeah. On yeah. his land, yeah, it's like real clean, pure water. I was like, "I bet you could run your truck off of it." That's why I keep it back there. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck Norris water. That's a new commercial. <laughs> Pour it in your truck. It turns the uh, to uh, from Transformers. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. stand up. Uh, for my commercial, I mean, I would definitely have to to do what you were saying, go more of a joke, uh, maybe some sort of prank video where we just run around uh, pranking a whole bunch of uh, kind of cool people. Marcus also loves prank videos. He loves That's doing where I get it from. silly, like almost skit type things. He's always always has some idea of doing some like recreation of Napoleon Dynamite or something like that. <laughs> well again, look at what you had to work with and then their their generation take it take it to a different level. Yeah. Like some of the stuff they do, I'm proud of them. Yeah. Oh, videos I'm that we were something, but these these jokers, man. Like all of the guys in Hunter's fraternity at LSU got Marcus, he got a hold of them and he's like, all right, this is what y'all are going to do. And he just gave them all kinds of assignments. And no, listen, they got it done. They'll have a bet. And if one of them loses, they got to take the damn ACT or the, the SAT, SAT and yeah. pass that damn thing, dude. <laughs> or take it again. Yeah. I, I never took it to that level. But yeah. I was thinking about, I was like, our bets, like if, if you lose, you got to join the Navy again. Yeah. <laughs> for, for four years, bro. Or go take that. That's a bet. Yeah. You want to bet? Let's not yeah. do that, man. Yeah, That's a you commitment. Can, You'll get something out of it. Yeah, you can survive losing a paycheck, but what's up? <laughs> four years, dude. You lose a bet that big, you gotta. It's like, hey, pay up or join the navy. Serve your country, man. John, do you have one? That's funny, man. What would I do as a Super Bowl commercial? I think I'd have to play off of one of my favorites, the old frogs. The Budweiser oh, yeah. one, that one. Oh, that's yeah. good. Oh, every good commercial came through. Yeah. What if you had like a cover band for every awesome uh, music performance in between the, oh, for halftime going? There you yeah, go. Something like that, you know? Yeah. A little highlight reel? Yeah. 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 Or right. just, yeah, kind of do my own halftime show in that one minute. Just yeah. Myself. <laughs> just you, huh? Just me. Do it, man. One man show. <laughs> So we've got a great guest in store for you guys today. Chad Rewicho is a former Force Recon Marine and DOD contractor with eight deployments to Afghanistan as part of a special operational task force. After overcoming his personal battles with PTSD, Chad founded the Mighty Oaks Foundation, a leading nonprofit that has served over 450,000 warriors through their faith-based combat resiliency programs and led life-saving programs for over 4,500 active military and veterans through the Mighty Oaks Legacy Programs. Chad has also served as a special agent with the U.S. Federal Air Marshal Service as a Surveillance Detection Senior Program Manager with the U.S. State Department and as a law enforcement officer where he received a Medal of Valor for his bravery above and beyond the call of duty. Welcome to the show, Chad. 
Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Yeah. When you read these some of these yep. out loud, they don't pretty they don't impressive sound real. resume. I was like, man, you know, th- think about that. When we started, go yeah. back in the day when you were signing up, somebody yeah. rolled in one of these. You're like, no. Pretty <laughs> impressive. That's it just means one. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it means to me. Yeah, yeah, that's all it means to me is I'm like, oh, it just sound, makes me sound old. Yeah. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you. Where where'd you grow up and what got you into the military in the beginning? Yeah, I grew up in Raceland, Louisiana. Uh, you know, really South Louisiana. We're getting mud between your toes. And, Talk about yeah. how south, though. <laughs> yeah, real down south by, by Lafouche, Lafouche uh, yeah. Parish, uh, uh, like Homa, Thibodeau, that, yeah. that area. So, uh, and then my family had 84 years of service. So, uh, from now, so uh, World War II, uh, Korea. Uh, my dad was the first Marine in my family, Vietnam. You, I was gonna, that's where I was going with that. Yeah. Oh, he was that, the first you got Marine. a Marine line in yeah. there? Yeah, he was the first Marine. And then both my sons, Hunter and Hayden, both served in the Marines. And even though I did eight deployments to Afghanistan, the hardest deployment was for me was when my son Hunter went to Afghanistan. I bet. Same war, mm-hmm. right? Uh, okay, so <laughs> we've talked about that before, that mm-hmm. the, the, yeah. the, the, those guys exist. Yeah. Yep. And um, which is... We're not letting that go down for the next generation. Yeah. No. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a crazy thing. I, I had a, uh, I mean. How about I mean, that? I mean, that's yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> we were kids and our freaking kid is strapped up into that. Same, same thing, war. yeah. And then the, the EVACs, you know, when we'll talk about that later, but you know, when we started saddling up to do these EVACs, he's like, dad, I want to go. And I'm like, no, man, you can't like, go to Afghanistan. Like, he's like, I already went. And I, I had an interpreter too. Like, I, I want to be part of this. And how could I say no? Like, how can I keep that from him? And he hold that against me for the rest of his life. So I let him be part of it. And, mm-hmm. and now he's like, he just got back from Ukraine a few days ago. He's about to go again. So he's part of our international team. Wow, that's and, awesome. Uh, and that's great. You know, so. Oh, well, if, it, if for whatever reason they come out and they come from, mm-hmm. turn out like we are, you got you can't deny it. Yeah. I mean, I would, I'm like, man, I would, he would be, he would be, uh, chewing on that for the rest of his life I and think I'd about be, it all the time with him. I was like if he I try to I don't push it on him but yeah. if he signs up I'm gonna kick him in the ass he ain't got no choice yeah. <laughs> we do things the the hard way around here yep you can do if you do it do it right and, well thanks yeah. for your service man and especially for you for your kids and that's yeah. Yeah. that's an honorable thing all so the way back has it been marines the whole time it, it was I mean like I said my dad uh my dad me and then both my sons but for me uh it's kind of seal story with that uh I was uh I had a brother he was uh he was a year older than me, and we grew very dysfunctional home because my father never really recovered from Vietnam. He didn't get the help that he didn't get the, the kind of help you guys do, and the kind of help we do. They didn't have that for these guys, and uh, and and my dad didn't get that, and so it was very dysfunctional home, a lot of physical abuse. And so my my brother and I, a year older than me, we'd always talked about joining the military. We grew up playing you know playing military out in the woods and the swamps and bayous, and and I remember we saw this video. You probably seen this video too because we were the same age of this. It was filmed down at the Strand in Coronado, and they were like they like. They like came in on helicopters and, and boats, and they they. That's that's the only reason I got in there. Man. Yeah, that <laughs> video, right? My life. Like, we so, didn't have much back in the 1900s. There wasn't a lot, <laughs> lot to watch. That's yeah, all we had. I seen that video, man, and I'm like, and and then I remember seeing this this seal come out of the water. He had twin 80s on his back, and his face painted green, like seaweed hanging off his head, and he's got his yeah, his M16. And I'm like, I want to do that, but I was like, I don't want to join the Navy. <laughs> and, uh, and it was my dad. Everyone says that. Like, like, Can I be a seal, not join the Navy? Yeah, exactly. I said the same thing. I don't want to be the Navy. I want to be a seal. Bro, they go together, man. You can't. Well, I, I was like, my, my dad was like such a dysfunctional and like angry human being, but the only thing that ever made him happy was the fact that he was a United States Marine. And I was like, well, what's like that in the Marine Corps? And I, and I started reading these books of like all these recon Marines and force recon Marines of Vietnam. And as a teenager, I became infatuated with it. And uh, when I was 14 and my brother was 15, we were already like running and swimming and because we grew up as athletes and, and he was shot and killed. And uh, so it was devastating to me. So for me, it was like a promise 
uh, to my brother. He was killed before he before he got to go to the military. Yeah, he was he was fifteen. Uh, oh my 15 gosh! Years. I was fourteen. He was fifteen, and and uh, he was he was shot uh, by his stepbrother and. With a twenty gauge, like point blank in his chest, and so he died right away. Oh and so my family, what I had left of family, fell apart. When I'm 17 years old, I'm probably not going to graduate high school, and I go to a Marine Corps recruiter named Staff Sergeant Brown. I remember Staff Sergeant Ronald Brown. Most people don't rec- remember their recruiters' names, or maybe they do in the beginning because they hate their recruiter. But but uh, I remember him 30 years later. Yeah, I, had, I do. <laughs> you remember who your guy? It was yeah. a seal. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, That's he the only him. reason because he whipped <laughs> our ass before we got, got you in ready. There. Yeah. Still calls and check, checks in. He still calls and talks down. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Freaking great. I would love. Community. I would love to get a hold of Ronald Brown because you found he, him. I haven't found him. He's find him now. Marines, dude. I need to find a marine that I yeah. uh, had a, that I buddied up with, officer type. Yeah. And I've been looking for him since we left Airborne. We went to Airborne school together. Yeah. And he dropped me off at Bragg, and, and I lost contact with him, which is crazy. I feel like Marines are the worst at keeping t- in touch with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> they, don't they don't. They just. They're just the hard, most hardcore. What's cut with the Vietnam yeah. Bulldogs? The those guys, man, that's the hardest thing. Because look who trained them. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. God! <laughs> I mean, the reputation. Then they went in, which was an ambush war. Who knew that? Yeah, I just learned that. The Vietnam was a complete ambush war. Every time they went out, there was something waiting on them. And yep. It wasn't the other way around. No. Was... And think about how tough you got to be. Then to come back and go through all that, that's why I was always taught to say, hey, welcome home to yeah. any one of them. I, 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 I still do. Even when I speak publicly, I always give welcome home to the Vietnam Marines, If you yeah. call them out on that, mm-hmm. if you see one of them in town, like an old timer getting out of line, you'd be like, hey, Marine, they will freaking stand <laughs> to it. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You say something about American, call them on that Marine thing, and they will. There's something that triggers in there. I guess it's gunning. Says that to them. Marine, you freaking, and they will. You know, you know, it's crazy, but it, but it's awesome too. Like you have someone like from that generation that maybe spent, especially when, you know, we losing our World War II guys. Probably almost lost them all now. But Korea, like like Vietnam, they did like two years in the service. In their whole life, they got the hat, they mm-hmm. got the jacket, like the whole way they see the world, like through those lenses at two years of service, it just shows how impactful like service services. Can you imagine what that's like life. to yeah. get in that kind of funnel? Oh yeah, yeah. Th- yeah. that kind of fire hose. Hey, here's your whole everything in two years. Flop. <laughs> we had a good friend that was a um, World War II Marine, RV Bergen. He was. Uh, there's part of the series, The Pacific, is after yeah. He's in after that. him. I and heard before. he awesome, just dude. died he like within the last before, three or four 14. years. Um, but he at 90 freaking years old, he would still wear his like Marine belt. You buckle. could shave yeah. with the creases in that dude's pants. They were yeah. so sharp. Hey, Tommy, Tommy Fordyce too. Oh, yes. Yeah, Marine oh, yeah. Corps buckle. I mean, he was freaking out there chopping that wood, 98, 94, whatever he was, He's man. He's old. Our staff, our staff rolls in like 9 o'clock. Tommy's been there since 6. Star- yeah. Starched out. Start head to toe. Head to toe yeah. legit, man. When they walked, they just cut the his air. Beard's dude. on point, yeah. Yeah. Little mustache is on point. I love <laughs> it. I love That's it. one thing. You can talk all the smack you want about the Marine Corps. I mean, I... Hopefully everyone knows who that's who's always had to rescue my ass. I got a <laughs> stepson kind of thing for him, right? But fucking sharp, squared away when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Military bearing. Yeah. A freaking military bearing. When you call them on, they freaking they got it. 
And we, we, we kind of messed it up in the recon community because we kind of we try, okay, we try, we try to be a little relaxed. And <laughs> that's, that's the bridge between us and y'all right yeah, there is yeah. when y'all come in. That's, yeah. that, that's allowed, man. Growing our hair so a little long. how does that work with Marines? When you go in as Force Recon, when you yeah. um, signed up, did you immediately sign up for that or did you have to transition into that? In my day, you didn't. In my day, you just said try out once you're in. Now there's a – and there, you go to recruiter and you sign a recon contract. And then you uh, when you go to infantry school, you do boot camp, then infantry school for four weeks. And then you go over a thing, thing called BRPC, Basic Recon Prep Course, which is like a, an assessment and selection mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks and uh, really just weeds everybody out. And then you go in a year pipeline. So the year pipeline is Basic Recon Course, uh, then Pre-Scuba, Combat Dive, Jump School, Sear School, Military Freefall School. So after a year, you go to your unit and uh, you'll go to regular recon battalion and uh, you're schooled out and you're trained up, ready to go. That's Just it? like going to SQT. Oh, so it's like, a, it's, it's like the same thing. Yeah, same thing. You're schooled up. You got a year All pipeline, right, you're schooled up. And then, what do they do with the dudes when y'all they don't make it through? They just... They needs in the Marine Corps. Most of them will go back to infantry school and finish out infantry it school. Make them bad dudes, right? They just no. get hurt and all that. Everything's but like- the the thing is, they'll probably actually a lot of people are worried about that. And I tell them, man, you you have this high GT score, so they'll give you the option to say, hey, you go back to infantry school, or you could go be you know cyber security or like because you have the you have to have a high GT score to be a SEAL or recon marine yeah, yeah. or green beret. So they have a, they usually give them. It's not like a pen, like slapping arrest penalization. It's like, hey, no. thanks for coming out. Like, yeah, it's completely different. Yeah. And, I, and I, you can't understand this when you're young, mm-hmm. but like for if you got guys who by no fault of their own got injured or whatever, and they send them back over there, they'll motivate the other dudes to get to get their asses over there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's by design. Yeah, you don't know that; they don't tell you that. Yeah. No, that's the way it works. Well, in my day though, it was like you you go to infantry school or communication school, then you take an indoctrination, mm-hmm. and uh, then you go go to a rep program, recondoctrination program. And then go to basic recon course, and then once you're in unit, you'll go to all these schools: jump, dive, free fall. I was around. I was around for like f- three, four years before we went to free fall school. So it took a while, but now they're pipelined out. Oh, yeah, it's in there. It's built in. Yeah, yeah. We know Which some of our great. guys of the team been there for fifteen years and hadn't seen that. Yeah. And if you came in as a new guy and cut the line, <laughs> whoo, stand by. That was yeah. like a thing. Yeah. I remember that. So did yeah. you go in right after high school? I did. I, actually, I didn't graduate high school. That's why I was saying Staff Sergeant Brown. I'm so thankful. I was 17 years old. I was in such a bad position with my family falling apart. I was living on my own. And so I went to the recruiter and was like, hey, this is my situation. My brother died. My family fell apart. And uh, I, I'm trying to work and go to school. And he helped me get in without a high school diploma in 1993, which you were required to have one. And uh, I made a promise to him that I'd, after infantry school, I'd get my GED, and I did. And all these years later, I got an MBA. Awesome. I always joke when I'm speaking. I'm like, oh I, can't, I can't spell MBA, but I got one. But, uh, <laughs> How about yeah, that? Yeah. But, uh, Most of our generation, guys, when they when they pop out from combat and they go back to college, they're like, hey, this is it's, it's just, I just get to hang out. It's not yeah. A, I ruined the curve. Yeah. It's so awesome when you find leaders like that recruiter that made one little, you know, slip in for you yeah. and look what you became if he said no like yeah, he what wrote. if you said f the military and you took another route like oh, that man, was awesome man, dude they're the best used car salesman there is <laughs> that's <laughs> that's something off the lot that's got some dings and dents and nobody wants and i'd be like i can find a spot for you it used to be like that yeah you been... come back squared away yeah because you can tell the difference between a dog who's been trained and one one had like when they walk up the way they stand and mm-hmm. everything and that's all it is is discipline you get that base. Someone said this the other day. He's like, you can teach somebody, a kid, every other skill set down here and don't teach him discipline and he won't do shit. Mm-hmm. You can only teach him discipline. He'll do all kinds of stuff. And he'll do every other <laughs> thing by himself. Yeah. yeah. 
And they broke it down for me like that, and I was like, that's right. And the hardest part about doing that is when you become the father. Yeah. You got, that's your one job. Not everybody else is, just the one you got dealt with. Yeah. And if you do that, we're good. Yeah. You know, something just, and, you know. That's good. I had never heard of that before. That's, I hadn't that's, either. That's, that's, that's a, I, had, I had a father break that down for yeah. me one time. I was yeah. like, yeah. I w- that makes sense. You should have led with that a long time ago. You know, because you know, <laughs> yeah. man, it's like, hey, as soon as you tell yeah. me, yeah. And, I, and I see it, I'm good. It's not, it's not our fault if we're walking around. We don't know. Right. But there's something yeah. about, like, so many people nowadays that are in positions like that, like that recruiter, that just all they do is just follow the checklist. Yeah. And yeah. that drives me crazy because there's so many people with potential that they just need a little bit of wiggle room to get in there. That's so. ter- it's hard because there's a checklist guy. Uh-huh. There's a checklist soul. <laughs> and whenever he shows up and gets put in the line, and he, he will make – He's so adamant about that that the next dude up could be like us. And he's yeah. like, no, no, you got to. Yeah. Right? And, and it does. It drives him crazy. Yeah. That's usually when stuff starts to. Because <laughs> you don't let them do their thing. Yeah. You naturally, by design, look like that and do that. Do your thing. Well, if yeah. Recruiter Brown is still out there. Yeah, listen. Yeah, we need to Brown, find him. Brown. We need a wanted post. <laughs> right? Yeah. Wanted post with these Yeah. Go old school. That's yeah. awesome. He was air wing, too. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen. I don't know that this, I'm sure it does exist in, in, in an official platform, but I'm trying to create the platform to like, hey man, you need to find one of us. It's not, you come to this place so we can, like, yeah, I know where he's at. The central point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah yep. Like when our DD214s, you got guys who check check out, just all I need is your number and then I can find anything I want on you. Well, you guys got to figure out in the teams. You got the blood class number. Yeah, we got all that. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The biggest thing <laughs> with the family It's crazy, too, because yes. you bust people on that. Like, I've busted people on oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's better at it than... Well, yeah. there's people that have <laughs> said, oh, yeah, I did this and this and this, and I was actually part of Red Wing or whatever, and I'm like, really? I've never heard your... Like, I, you know what they always If they were the in dates. the SEAL community, the I, like, dates, I would yeah. think I'd hear their name. They're like, yeah, I was Bud's class... 3,630 or whatever. I'm like, you're full of shit. <laughs> you're totally yeah. full of it's shit. Funny, most of us military, we were, uh, I was like horrible in math, you know, that kind of thing. But I remember every number in the military. There's more numbers in the military than you can even shake them, stick yeah. at. And yeah. That's all we know. Yeah. <laughs> Man, this, this is like uh, things that I remember like, that I had to learn verbatim that pop up. I was speaking, remember I was speaking in church the other day. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, I, and yeah. I, the word, I said the word panic and I'm like, or I, McQuist. Yeah. That, that, yeah, McQuist. That's what you yeah. learned from. And that. I said to her, "Panic!" And I just read. I, I, my mind just went to the definition: the sudden overwhelming, ter- <laughs> yeah. the sudden overwhelming terror that destroys a person's capacity for self-help. Like just, you just like, so and I, I hadn't said that in like twenty years. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> definitions like <laughs> teaching my kids something last night, and I was like, "Hey, say it like this. This is why we remember." And she was, she was doing that too. I was like, "Man, that's, that's why that's there." Yeah. 
So. Awesome. Okay, so you get in, you got a great recruiter, and then then what? Then, then I you know, go through infantry school, go through, become a recon marine, and uh, and then I do all these schools and all this training, and then there's no wars because I went in in 1993, and uh, and uh, you know I, I did we did some counter drug operations like a, called JTF six operations and down in Mexico and on the border and stuff like that, but no wars and yeah, that's and, what we were doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was kind of that, that, matter of fact, most of you you couldn't even like one year was like we're I don't even know where they were. Like right. they spread us out to the winds. They find jobs for us. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Kept kept us busy and kept during us busy. Time. And then the wars condense us. Yeah. And then nine eleven happened. I was a sergeant at Third Force Recon Company. I was a, uh, uh, I was the uh, actually in, in his billet that he's in now. I was I was a free fall team leader there and uh and being a team leader at Third Force. I'm like, man, really? When this when it jumped off, you were <laughs> running the stuff, huh? Yeah. So I was like. My, my life's about to change. Oh, uh, and uh, and I, I obviously we wanted it to. We were like, let's go. Oh, yeah. let's go do this. Were you married? Yeah, I, I was. I got married when I was eighteen. We were eighteen and nineteen years old, so we've been married. Kathy's experienced Everything. the whole thing, yeah, from the beginning to end. That's and, awesome. And uh, where's she at? Yeah, yeah. we need her on <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want the real story, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I mean, she she's been through a lot, and I mean, if you guys you know know the whole story of. You know, I went there. Uh, I tried out for uh, that JSOC task force to go with one of our premier units and, and work with a lot of your guys. And and uh, privilege of a lifetime as a Marine to get to go represent the Marine Corps there. And I uh, did eight deployments that way and and, uh, and came home and dealt with, you know, after, you know, 15 friends, burying 15 friends. And uh, our confirmation, our, our operation got compromised. And, and um, you know, I ended up being abducted by SI and, uh, and, had a V-bid driven in my house and uh, 12, uh, 12 of our guys were, were rolled up. 10 of them were killed, Afghans. Uh, and, you know, these, these guys are my brothers. Like, I lived in their homes and played soccer with their kids. They're my friends. And, and uh, so I, I, I ended up just dealing with major, like, anxiety, panic attacks and uh, came home, got diagnosed with PTSD and got read out of my program, which was, you know, just soul-sucking for me. What year was that? In 2000, April of 2007. And, uh, and I was just, man, I was de- dealing with these debilitating panic attacks, ashamed of what happened. And, uh, and so when you came out of the military, did you come back here? So I was, I was, I had already switched a contract. So I came, I was, so I was a contractor. So there was no like transition out for me. It was, yeah, there's not. it was just like, boom, I was so like, that's, that's program, a I was done. great point. Yeah. Cause a lot of people, the guys, there was this funny thing that happened with us. Right. Just to break it down real fast, when you talk to a veteran, when they say their war, that's like saying their name, their identity, right. their tag. Right. And you immediately, and, and something comes with that. Mm-hmm. You freaking know it. So you had the Vietnam guys. After that, you had Storms and Shields. Right. Which trained, which was the interim in between that. Yeah. And then our guys came online. Yeah. And I mean, we trained in terror. Just, what, what kind of war you guys fight? Well, man, we were going against terror, so what kind of operators do you think we are? Well, something happened in the middle of us mm-hmm. where they were, where our guys got out and went into that civilian contract side. Yeah. There wasn't a detox moment. No. Matter of fact, it was kind of the military's link to a detox because those guys were civilians, but yeah. still fight. You know, it was like having a cool yeah. cousin come in and help you whip some ass, dude. Yeah. They could get away, get us some stuff. For me, it was my same exact same job. Like I went, my, my, I had the, I got a contract exactly. at a command. So I'm like, went from, went from staff sergeant paid to, Oh, to contract paid, doing exact 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 same job, yeah, and uh, and and so I thought it was great, but where it wasn't great was that when I needed help, then it was just like you're done, yeah. And uh, well, even in the military, I feel like if it was kind of before two thousand and 
10 that you were getting out, there was really no good transition. No, no. They finally, like in the SEAL teams, they it. finally yeah, started that was it, yeah. doing <laughs> NICO. That was transition. At least that. I mean, which yeah. isn't going to solve problems, but at least they're getting like a read on what guys are going through. Kind of, I think that was post yeah. 2000. It was about 2010, 2011 when they started doing NICO at least, but... I feel like before that, like when Marcus got out. I was say, what year was for you? It was 2008. Eight, so, so. What year was Red, Red Yeah, Red? Five. Uh, yeah. yeah. I went back afterwards. Yeah, he went to Ramadi after that. And then, that. um, uh, freaking worse, man. Yeah. It was awesome. I mean, it yeah. was, you know, I'm talking yeah, about yeah. kicking this. But we still, like just a year ago, we were still trying to straighten out his retirement medical paper. I hadn't heard it said like that, but literally our rotation cycle out was to do that. Like you went yeah. offline to the contract. That was your boot camp back. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. Yeah. And, and at, at that unit, that was, that was that the plan unit. for everybody. I yeah. even thought I was like, Hey, so after I get done with this, then this is what I have to do. We follow yeah. each other. Yeah. It's like an unwritten. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's yeah. like, all right, what Everybody's am I supposed to do? Trailblazer. Like, what's he? Whatever he's doing. Yeah, I that's what I'm what doing. doing yeah, man. yeah. And and that, we're doing that. Yeah. Especially in you guys' community, in that unit I was at specifically, everyone did that. Half the, half the guys goes. there were, and so I was super privileged. I felt super privileged to have the opportunity to do that, but it bit me in the end. And so to answer your question, I was already living here, so this is where I stayed. Opened my jujitsu gym. Spent about three years, like you know, professional fighting and teaching jujitsu. And on the surface, it looked like everything was fine. But, you know, I, I crashed and I ended up in, a, in an affair. We separated, filed for divorce. And, uh, and in 2010, I had to take my life. And then, um, and then some amazing people came around me and here from this community in the church, Woods Edge Church down in s- southern area of the Woodlands there and came around me and just helped us to restore our family and, and rebuild my faith. And, uh, and my life was just radically transformed. And that's when I started the Mighty Oaks Foundation to help others. That's awesome. So, so how'd your wife handle that? Well, this, uh, you know, we, when we were separated, I, and, uh, I was in, in that, I was in a closet. I would go, I would try to build up the courage to, to take my life. And I had, I had the 40 Glock 22 pistol, 40 caliber pistol. And I put my family pictures on the floor around me and, uh, and I tried to build the courage to pull that trigger. But my, my oldest son, Hunter, at the time, he was, he was 13, and he was the only one that had a key to my apartment. And so I, I, that, I had this, like, I believe it was divine, like, thought, like, someone's going to find me. And, uh, and so as I was trying to build the courage to do that, he, uh, I would think of him finding me. Like, he's, somebody's going to get a gunshot. Somebody's going to I'm gonna be, show up missing. So he would be the one to help open the door. So that was enough to pump the brakes. And, but I was in such a dark place that I was so determined, like, to rid them of that burden of, of what I was putting them through. And so... Uh, one, I was in that closet and my wife knocked on the door and I wasn't going to answer it. And, uh, and I heard Kathy's voice and I kind of panicked. I, I don't know why, because she never came in my closet, but I hid the gun under a blanket. And I was so mad that she was there. It sounds twisted, but I like went to the door and just started berating her for being there, interrupting me and doing that. And uh, she's not a very calm arguer, by the way. <laughs> but in, in this moment, she was pretty calm. And she, she asked me a question that you know changed my life. She's like, how could you do everything you did? And the Marine Corps, we were 17 and 18 when we met. She saw me go to recon school and all the schools and training and workups, you know, deployment workups and all the, the crazy stuff that we do. You talk about discipline, like the discipline to what to and in military and fighting and cutting weight and all that stuff. She's like, how could you do all of that? And when it comes to your family, you'll quit. And, mm. uh, and, uh, yeah, never quit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, she was right. I've been, I've been successful at professional things in my life, but when it came to the most important things, like being a husband, being a father, being a young 17 year old kid that Staff Sergeant Brown gave me that chance to go and, make something of my life and I quit all those things include my will to live so uh that challenge uh really was a pretty being called a quitter is pretty soul-cutting word to me and that challenge really uh made me jump back in the fight and uh and 
thankfully I, I was, I, I think God orchestrated to putting the right people around me, surrounding me by the right people to challenge me and help bring some accountability in my life to actually finally get well. Did she do that or did you already know the people that she did that? She was going to that church in the woodlands. I I was not interested in God or or faith or church or anything like that, but I wanted somebody outside of my circle because I was in, I was, I was ranked number six in the world at that time as a fighting, uh, out of this area. I was probably like one of the you know, top fighters out of this area at that time. So like everyone was around me telling me everything I wanted to hear, not what I needed to hear. So I didn't have good accountability and I was, I was very aware of that. And in fact, I was kind of embracing that. And so I had to ask someone, I wanted someone outside of my circle. And so I asked Kathy, is there someone at this church you're going to that could help hold me accountable to the decision? And, uh, and she introduced me a man named Steve Toth, who's actually, I don't know if you guys oh, know yeah, Steve. Oh yeah, the state rep. Yeah. And so Steve, he wasn't in politics at the time. He was just an elder on call at the church. And I met with him at a Starbucks coffee shop. And, uh, and I had this perfect, like five paragraph order, op order, but I was going to fix my life. And I like slid it over to him. Like, Hey, check this out. Show it to my wife so I could win her back. And he, uh, he slid it back over to me and told me I was going to fail. And I remember being like pretty offended because I didn't even know who he was. And he's telling me I'm going to fail. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, you ever read this? And he's like, he's tapped in a paper. And he said, this plan doesn't have anything to do with your relationship with God. I'm, I'm not going to waste your time. I'm not let you waste mine. And at that time in my life, I'd, I'd been on other medications. I'd been to VA programs, civilian programs, I had professional success, financial success. And, you know, some of those things are good. Some of those things are bad, but none of those things worked. And so, uh, it kind of led us to, uh, saying we have mighty oaks. If what you're doing is working, then why not try something different? And, uh, so I, I made a decision to surrender my life to God, uh, became a Christian and Steve mentored me for an entire year in like biblical living. And what, what that really meant for me was like, I had, it led me to this realization that all these bad things that happened to me, I remember losing like, you know, like Foster Harrington, who's, we served together for 10 years before he was killed. He was killed in Al- Al-Ambar province in, in 2004 in, uh, in, our, in Iraq. And, that's, that, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when he was killed, I was like, I was so pissed off. Like I was like, I remember just being so angry because like one of the best human beings on the planet. And he was, he is one of those guys that really wanted to make a change in like these countries and, and help. And he just had a heart for that when other people was like, eh, you, you know, who cares about Iraqis or Afghans? Like he, he was like one of the guys that's always like wanting to do the right thing. And, uh, and like, so all these bad things, my childhood, uh, deployments, like all these bad things that happened to me, those things didn't lead me to be in that closet with a pistol in my hand. What had led me there were the choices I was making in response to that. And what Steve was teaching me through his mentorship was, hey, like, yeah, you're going to deal with anxiety, depression, anger, but you can respond to it in a better way that's going to you know, lead you in the right place. And that's what the Bible did for me. And, and it led me to restoration and hope and ultimately to find a new purpose. And it purposefully manifested for me in a, in a distorting a Mighty Oaks Foundation, just wanting to pay it forward to others. And uh, obviously we'd never had any idea that in the last 12 years, I've spoken to half a million troops now and, you know, and, uh, and with our programs, I speak at Marine Corps boot camp every, every quarter. I've did NSW conferences and, and, uh, and then we have a recovery program where, where, uh, our friend Ben worked at and, and, uh, where we have, we do 35 camps a year. Um, and, and we've helped, you know, thousands of people there and, and it's just been amazing to, to watch, you know, just all these other warriors who've been through the same thing I've been through get better and then be in a position to help the next guy and just pay it forward and pay it forward and pay it forward. And that's, that's what we, you know, that's what I think the real solution to this is. I mean, obviously I believe that God's like a centerpiece solution. Cause I think a lot of things we deal with are spiritual wounds and it requires a spiritual solution, but the people to, to deliver that are our peers uh, and about to not just get well, be in a position to help the next person and, and pay it forward. That's, that makes it real. Yeah. That, yeah. This uh, was delivered to me. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, it was like, look at you. Yeah. One of the most terrifying things to walk the planet of Earth right now. You think your neighbor's going to come over and talk to you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me right now? I mean, that's what you decided to be. Yeah. And spent a lifetime doing it. Every yeah. qual that went into it made it. 
Yeah. And if you don't have something better than you to keep you in check, your ass yeah. will get off the limb with it. Yep. That's exactly right. And at a young age, you don't know that. I feel like white dudes have to learn that. <laughs> right? Sure. I, I, just sure. do, I just feel like yeah. I'm like, my brothers, man, they like know that already. Yeah. Like we, I feel like we have to learn that. Yeah. So you get to that point to where you're the most dangerous thing down here. Mm-hmm. Even Jesus had to come into a woman. Mm-hmm. They're not the most dangerous thing down here, but they're the toughest thing down here. And they're designed <laughs> to love the most deadliest thing. Mm-hmm. And we still talk to them the way we do. Yeah. How about that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Can you, can you believe that, that, that we even do that? I, I can't yeah. even, I, when someone told me like that, I was like, hey man, every time they, they see you, they want to love on you and take care of you, and then something gets a hold of you, badass, mm-hmm. and then you go home and beat up on your wife? I, I thought, Seal, all, all these backgrounds, and what's so fucking tough about you, man? Yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, like, they break it down on you. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah so you are, man. Yeah. You're the dangerous thing down here. So now you got to turn around and teach, you know, it's, this is where we learn. It's like yeah. to receive, reflect, and now we have to respond. But the, the irony with, with our generation is there has to be some dark humor in it. Yeah, yeah. So the situations that we get put in aren't designed for us to do what we're really, really good at. you got to hit them with the articulate. Yeah. And like, hey, I, I and, and the reason you, you look like that is so you can just make sure you scare the shit out of them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? exactly. And then you have the stories to back it up. Because yeah. overall, inside the, this country, man, they, they, they're good with us. Yeah. Remember what everyone else on the planet thinks of us. That's the, that was the most valuable lesson they learned. I was like, man, you got to you got to be able to remember that part. What you really are, as opposed to what you're trying to do, is an opposite thing. Well, I, exactly what you're talking about. I use that to keep people at distance for a long time. Like, I, yeah. I came back from Afghanistan. I didn't talk. Now I public speak and write books and stuff. I didn't tell anybody. I was in. I didn't want anybody to know I was in the military. Uh, I just wanted. We're taught that. I wanted to like shut that that chapter in my life and move on. And uh, now I'm going to try to build myself to be like this macho like fighter and, and, uh, but, but, uh, I, I didn't want anybody to speak into my life. I'm like, and I would position myself to where I didn't want to, I didn't want any accountability. And so I had to be willing to make myself, you know, open to that. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Yep. I mean, they made me do it. Yeah. They put me on that. I didn't have a choice. Yeah. And when they, when they do that, I, I, I think that's important for us too. It's like, I do really well when someone tells me what to do. Yeah, like when there's a mission statement and an order, and especially if, if there's a the team's doing it. Yeah, I, when we're by ourselves, we kind of idle around because that, that when we were by ourselves, if there wasn't a mission going on, bro, we'd go get into something. Sure, <laughs> yeah, even if, just, even even if it was bar fight, right? <laughs> get right. into something. I mean, just something. <laughs> yeah. So that's the toughest thing for us, and not only that, we were well trained in it. They took yeah. us out of the country and threw us in Babylon. <laughs> took us to the beginning. <laughs> When everyone else got paradise, when everything came online, the tech and everything was good here, I mean, we weren't here. Right. We missed that. So a lot of guys when they come back, you can see it in them. And when they get back, man, I tell people, man, for every 10 you're in, it takes two to detox. Right. And if you got your boys around you, especially if you cut from the same cloth, and if you're not, that doesn't matter because most of us are bastards <laughs> and we interop. Yeah. Especially when we're in the bo- in the sandbox. Man, guys are just, you'd work with them for years and not even know that they were in a different branch of service. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's you know what you know one thing I'm I don't want to get off subject, but one of the things I've seen lately and I'm experienced with this book and I and I've witnessed from afar. You dealt with it before. Is how much we support each other, but, but but when a guy gets out and transitions away and starts being successful, or does something gets a platform, how we eat we cannibalize each other. It, it's we awful. go after each other and and like why do we do that to it's each other? Absolutely awful, and it's usually it's, the guys that are like still active or or mm-hmm. just getting out yeah. that just 
pounce on yeah. whoever. I've, I mean, I've seen it. Seen with Marcus, Tim and Kennedy. I'm, yeah, and uh, it's just Mike Glover. Who does that? Instructors. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when our peers talk. No one ripped me. I mean, I'll get on seals. They'll tear my ass. I expect that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're not, then there's a problem. You can tell when team, uh, and that's military-wide, especially yeah. if you speak the language. Yeah. Like, oh, he was talking smack. What do you say? Marcus has really big. Wait, what did he say? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a difference. There's a big difference. difference. There's a complete difference. And the problem with with, uh, social media is there's no, you can't see the flair. Right, right. You don't know what it's wrapped in when it's delivering that message and people get bent out. I got team guys, I got the baddest men on the planet of Earth that get upset over something they'll read in an op board on that phone. Uh And I'm like, really? You get mad about that? Yeah. You said that. Like, oh, he gets on to me. Dude, if I, I get that's fired my one up thing with from something I read, he's like, you read it on a phone. Yeah, what do you care? You're fine. <laughs> y'all don't care what people say. Y'all, y'all do the talking. Uh, yeah. Everyone else listens to y'all now. That's where we're at. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. but you can get wrapped up in it, especially if it's your life. That thing right there is... It does yeah. happen. That's though, like, that should be in the vault. That's like an M4, man. Or <laughs> well, it's, it could be dangerous. It can, yeah. Yeah, the worst... Critics are our own teammates and peers, but I love those guys. Mark, <laughs> I love them, Marcus yeah, yeah. never bothered him. He, it never bothered me. I don't, it's yeah. bothered me because I'm yeah. like, I thought we were close. Like yeah. we are. And so <laughs> it, I definitely take offense to it, but he does not. He's so good at just letting it just roll off his I, back. I could use some lessons from him right now. Yeah, <laughs> that's what this is. Just let it roll off your back. Yeah. Like, you me, I just always look at like, hey, if you and I are standing somewhere, yeah. And somebody walked up on us, and even if they did get it out of their mouth, what? What? Yeah. I mean, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> We've been yeah. over there where they're trying to kill us every day yeah. in our sleep. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? Much less. And everything out of their mouths is how I was. We're taught from birth that everybody hates us. Yeah. And you know what? When it that's comes true. down to it, that person that's talking shit, if they got into a bind, we go save them. Oh, yeah. Go, for sure. 100 percent. 100%. Oh, and I know that, so yeah. I'm just kind of like, all right, whatever. Yeah, and they like would come we, for us. Yeah. And they would still do it. It's yeah. kind of like the guy that it's just like, man, look. I, and, and I'm not kidding about that. Everyone is taught to hate us from birth. Yeah. yeah. Don't ever forget it. No matter how much we bleed, we collect scars in this family, came down here to bleed. No matter how much you do it, man, they're still going to hate your ass. It's yeah. a dysfunctional family, yeah. but you yeah. still have each other's back. We're the outside yeah. boys. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's where they keep us, man. You know, God's got a table full of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, just checking. <laughs> so when you started the Mighty Oaks Foundation, did your church help you build the platform? How did they you did. actually... They did. They got, you know, Pastor Jeff Wells and, and the Woodland. He's still there. Uh, he's Talk about him. Pastor. He's, he's an amazing human being. A, a little background on Pastor Jeff Wells. He's ran for an Olympic team. Uh, the year he got boycotted, uh, sponsored by Nike. Came in second in the Boston Marathon by like a, by like a second. Oh, wow. Uh, and... Uh, wait, wait. Really? Yeah, he's incredible, incredible human being. You guys know who he is? Mm-mm. I don't yeah. know. Woods, at, Woods Edge Church. So, so that's that's where we go to church now. But that church just really got behind us, and they believed that. I mean, honestly, they, should, they had no business getting behind us. Me and Kathy were not in a position to help others. We were still bleeding ourselves, but they just really felt that God was burning our hearts to, to go far and do this. And oh, they were the patch. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they uh, they 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 uh, wrapped their arms around us, launched us out to do this, and uh, you know, twelve years later. 
Um, it's been, you know, amazing, amazing opportunity to just serve so many people. And uh, we still get to do it. Do y'all take, um, like, how does it work? Because you don't own all the ranches that you right. do the retreats at. Are people just offering that up for they, the They do. Yeah, so we, so we have we have really four things that we do. We have a resiliency program where primarily me, I, I go to bases around the world and speak to troops on PTSD, suicide prevention, How spiritual you resiliency. You do that, man? Are you USO in that or now? No, I'm not, I don't do it. We just write through my ears. So directly, directly to commands. They didn't put you on that. No, they've they've tried to, but uh, to do like a USO tour and I think in Afghanistan one time, and I and it was just. Okay, because I was like, who are you with? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who'd you go with, man? Because some yeah. of them have a blast. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're just doing so, it through my Yeah, I just, do, I just did yeah. it through ourselves. And and, uh, and and we've, like I said, at Marine Corps Boot Camp's had me for every quarter for eight years now. And uh, and then we write res, uh, resources. So like some of our books, Path to Resiliency, Truth About PTSD, we've given away about 350,000 copies. And then our recovery programs, which you t- you're talking about, our legacy programs, we have five ranches, California, Ohio, Virginia, two in Texas. And those ranches, uh, two of them were exclusive for us, our two main ones, California and Ohio. And so we don't own them, but they were built and are exclusive to yeah, us. That's cool. So we had, the one in California, for example, was 25,000 acres, about $10 million facility that uh, Mr. Wayne Hughes Jr., the public storage family, built for us. And uh, we do- Great the, family. Oh, amazing people. And of the, of the 35 camps that we do a year, they're five days long. Of the 35 we do a year, 17 of their, of their California. Okay. And uh, and so active duty service members come on PTAD orders, veterans come, uh, first responders, and, and we have a spouses program as How well. How do you find them? Uh, what well, man, honestly, they, they found us. Yeah. They find, we, we, we get, we so get, recommend, yeah, the words out there. we're getting, we're getting like, I think last year we got 1800 applications oh, okay. and so we're doing, so we do about a thousand per year, uh, that go through and we pay for everything, including travel. Mm-hmm. So it's about $5 million a year in programming. And, uh, honestly, in the last, we always need support, but in the last 12 years has been amazing as we grew, uh, the money has always came because we just had, I mean, you guys know from what you do, we have amazing country of patriots that love our troops and oh. have supported it. And it's been incredible. Hey, to the watch Vietnam guys had it. If, our, if my dad and your dad had to yeah. set it, had to set that in, mm-hmm. if, if one of them had to do it. Yeah. It, it was them. They did it. Because when we got back, yeah. I mean, they're like, I, couldn't, I can't even drive. Yeah. Like you and I have tried to just be the baddest things on the planet of Earth. And the minute we came back hurt or busted yeah. up, like, we got you. Yeah, and, and and there's so many. I mean, just forty three, forty four thousand. I'm right. So basically, everybody. Yeah. They, most people don't know how to do it. Everyone yeah. wants to help. Yeah. What a great country you live in. Where when you come back like that, and Americans are great about one thing: if they watch you get your ass whipped for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they know it. Yeah. As soon as they know it, they'll take care you, of you. You're good. Yeah. And uh, it's been it's been uh, incredible just to be. Just to watch how people—you talk about people coming together in unity. Mm-hmm. Um, there's people that follow me on social media, like don't like where I stand conservatively, but when we do efforts like this Afghanistan evac effort, they're like, "Hey, I don't like you, but where can I support?" They'll tell you that. Yeah, they'll say it just like that. Yeah. I, I, man, I don't even like anything about you, man. Where can I, where can I support? Oh, yeah, what you what you right, doing? Bro. You're doing a good. Yeah, you're doing a good thing. Yeah, great. Right, yeah, and uh, so yeah, man, fire doesn't like water. You know, there's some <laughs> things down here that don't get. It's not. Yeah. It's not a lot. But it's, the words mean something different. Yep. Yeah. It's like, man, they just don't coalesce. They can't grow next to each yeah. other. Always yeah. look at it like that. Since Mojo got up in D.C., he was talking about, I've been asking about all the congressmen. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? He goes, everyone I run into, regardless of what you see, he goes, when they turn it on, they turn it on. Mm-hmm. And when they turn it off and we're walking around and it's business as usual, he's like, man, they're straight up. He's like, it's, it's, it's really something yeah. to see. They're professionals, adults. Yeah. Like, 
and and that's good. That is good. Yeah. And I'm like, jump on his back. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really, I was like, no more killing. Yeah. No like, more killing. Okay? Yeah. Oh, can't do that. Like, anymore. You gotta yeah. choke him out. Come yeah. on. Okay. Yeah, there's been, been a few congress members that walked through when I was over, over in Capitol, and I'm like, seeing him walking in the hall, and I just want to stick my leg out and trip him. Oh, right. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the Cajun in us. I really think that's the... Y'all are bad. Y'all are worse. The fiery Cajun Like, what do they can do about it? What do they can do about it? I mean, they can get up and... Congress and the senators are great. <laughs> now that you have, fired up. Yeah. yeah, we were at dinner the night before Morgan was. Well, before they were supposed to get sworn in, but uh, ended up being five days later. But we go to dinner that night before. I'm like, okay, if you see this person, do this. If you see this person, he just shook his head at me. He was like, you're a little fired up. I was like, get him good with this state, this state, and this state. I man. said, that's just... the Cajun in me. I just yeah. get yeah, get the uh, Cajun fire. Yeah, it's a thing. There's two more things we do at Mighty Oaks. One is uh, policy-wise, we've taken the successes of faith-based programs and and taken them to you know testify before Congress and Senate and and getting successful uh, policy back in place for faith-based programs. In 2009, actually President Bush signed a, the Opportunity Faith Initiative in 2001. 2009, President Obama signed a, a, a policy to override that and take funding away from faith-based programs and put all the money in clinical. And this problem got worse. And so in 2000. Uh, 16, I was able to speak to candidate Trump and asked him if he'd over, override that. Obama did that? Obama did that in 2009. And uh, and they, they shifted a lot of money, all that money to clinical programs, stood up, put billions of dollars, stood up about 1,500 new clinical programs, and the suicide rate from went from 16 to 22 yeah. right after that. So so when I, I, had, I was think, tracking that— You think they're tracking their data? No, I don't know if they in are the not. Clinical, oh, yeah, oh, so. in the clinical side, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, like, they're changing. I hope you're keeping yeah, stats. Yeah, because by two years. Yeah, yeah, the, I mean, we're, we're seeing it yeah, now. Yeah, So I, in 2016, I was before candidate Trump, and I got a chance to ask him a question. That's why I asked him. If you become president, will you uh, override the Opportunity Faith Initiative and bring faith-based programs back? He said yes, and uh, I got a chance to be, become the chairman of the White House's Faith-Based Coalition for that, and, and he signed that executive order in 2018. In addition to that, we uh, we worked on a lot of bipartisan policy. We got a lot of stuff done on the on the faith based program side for VA and DOD, and I got to I got to advise uh, uh, Deputy, Deputy Secretary uh, Pam Powers of the nice. VA on, on that pot side. And then the last thing we do is we do a, we we take our programs that we've been successful with here, and we take them to international partners around the world. Uh, allies around the world and so right now I, i've been to ukraine 10 times since february oh my so, god uh, talk about that yeah so yeah. Um, originally went out there how did you get uh, how did you get in yeah the, first the original time. time i just drove in uh, i just drove <laughs> i figured it was something i drove in i mean there was nobody stopping people from going in i didn't think so i was <laughs> just like, like you the, do, the line was seven days coming one way but take us back to like that day are you watching it i mean because i had an idea how you got in but are you just sitting on the couch watching on the news and you're like I'm gonna go. No, we we had just got done with the. We had still had everybody in place, all of our team in place from the uh, Afghanistan evacs, and so one of our guys, uh, he's in book of sea spray. He's uh, you know former Green Beret and and had spent some time with our premier government intelligence agency. So he's a very experienced guy, and so uh, he did a lot with us in Afghanistan. So he went ahead of time, and he was in he was in Ukraine like days before the invasion, and so we knew it was coming. And we were thinking, hey, how could we? How could we help? It's a lot different than Afghanistan. Afghanistan, people can go in to help, but here you could drive a bus across the border, open the door, and people get in. So mass evacs wasn't somewhere we could help. So we were looking at some different things we could do to help. So one was be you know strategic, uh, very strategic evacuations of people that couldn't self evacuate, and the other would be uh, we identified that when the communication infrastructure went down, all these NGOs that were helping would be 
in the dark. And so we, we wanted to build the communications infrastructure and a clandestine like network for communications and, and, and distribute that and track it. So that's what we went in there to do. Oh. And uh, so we, we build that in, in days. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah, let's say so that's how so i remember my son's back in the states he's wanting to go and i'm like okay i need you to go like uh iridiums uh gps gps's go tennis for like the clandestine uh that's square away that, and we just no one thinks of that yeah because that's i mean what's the first damn thing people can't communicate this your com grid yep who, who could say the day somebody could roll in there and throw one up yeah, and we did, we did, we did within the first weeks of that happening, and we put we put three thousand about three thousand kits out. Track we could track where every kid is, that's cool, and man. so instead of us going to help, having to go help everybody, we could say, "Oh, this guy's over here; he can yeah. move you." That's and what so, helps. That. Yep. And so we did and that, food and then and yeah, all the all the other good, logistics man. and infrastructure. So, so we've been there now. What we do, and we taking a mighty oak spiritual resiliency program, and we are going to the front lines and uh, like past the front lines. We've been past like two hours past the Russian line to like special operations troops. And we, uh, so you're taking bring the boys them, back in. Yeah. We bring small teams, like two, three man teams. And we, uh, and we bring in like, Dennis has been there with me. And, uh, uh, we bring like, uh, IFAX, like some really good IFAX cause they're not getting the medical supplies they need. And not yeah. only we give them that, but we, last time we went, we brought an 18 Delta special forces medic doctor to teach them how to use it. So yeah. now we, so we're giving them that we use it to be able to pour and then we stay with them and we, then we do our spiritual resiliency program to helping them mentally and spiritually be prepared. Have you put that word out to the deltas to get them in. He's an 18 Delta. I'm sure oh, the guys are looking. Oh man. Yeah. We'll take 18 Deltas <laughs> all, day all day long to yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, in fact, that's, that's what we need the most, uh, for our support is, uh, to bring 18 Deltas to do that because, uh, that's their biggest need because they even if they get medical supplies, so, yeah, they yeah, have no sure. idea how to use it, right? They don't know how to oh, how yeah, de- de- how deflate a lung right, or yeah. do a sucking chest wound. Yeah. And so, I mean, I got some pictures of my son there last. What he was there two weeks ago, yeah. last week, yeah. last week, teaching a teaching a Ukrainian special operations unit, you know, uh, all that stuff. And and so, and we bring our audio Bible sticks for them and, and resources. We got a lot of stuff translating Ukraine. And, and I've been getting a lot of heat, like, why are you going over there helping? These Zelensky's corrupt and. I don't care. Like our, our politicians, Biden's corrupt. Like that, none of that matters to me. This is like these pe- these people didn't ask for any of this, and they're being invaded by a super world superpower. I've, I mean, I, I leaked to Fox News like mass graves. I've seen them with my own eyes, and and uh, civilian apartment buildings that hit with. Yeah, so what kind of fighting missiles. are we talking about? When, when is it like in this all the time in the city going block to block like we did in some towns, or is it standoff sniper stuff? Or I mean, is is there army? No, it's it's very. It's, it's something like we never seen before. It's kinetic uniform on uniform. I don't, I don't uh, know so, about that. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's, what's that look like? It's like it's like World War Two, right? Like so, TV, right? Like yeah, like Band yeah. of Brothers type shit. Yeah. So I mean, I was in the Zoom, and uh, me and Seaspray were in a Zoom, which Russia had occupied for six months, and we were with the mil- the Ukrainian military as they pushed through, and and we went about two about an hour and a half past. You were you were in Kharkiv when I was there, right? You were yeah. So we went we went through, and it was just two of us, and the border collapsed. The Russians collapsed behind us. And, uh, and it was the craziest thing. Cause I never had air over us Two MIGs fly over and we were like, what are those MIGs? And then they dropped it a gun run. And then, uh, and then we had IDF hitting like hundred yards from us, like dirt hitting us. And, and I'm like, I never encountered that before. And, and like, I, I could show you my phone, like where we, we were like moving with the Ukrainian uh, troops and like we passed like 60 die, dead or dying Russian soldiers, uniform Russian soldiers. And, and, uh, Dude, that's, huh. I mean, it was one of them like 
Azert, like what's that over. even like, man? What's that? What's that? I never experienced anything like that in Afghanistan. I mean, or anything. Like oh that. no! Yeah. I mean, well, no, we didn't, was, we didn't have most, that. It was the most kinetic thing I've ever seen. I mean, I wasn't participating in it. I was just right there with them, but like shoulder to shoulder with them. That's got to be and crazy. These guys were like, see what you're shooting at to be able to tie like the, the other team stand so up. How like, do, but how I, do they get? I see so much stuff on the news that they're actually targeting like orphanages or oh, yeah. hospitals or whatever. Yeah. So if it's none of that's supposed making to be... news, like none of that's making mainstream news, like that should be though. Yeah, but if it's uniform, it's supposed to be uniform to uniform. Why are they targeting the innocent? So like, so like the best example way to describe is like the Ukrainians will engage in a in a face to face fight with the Russians, and they'll bound away. And then next thing you know, they'll attack like a civilian uh, apartment building, and it's like a it's like a mental, yeah, like it. deterrent to like oh, yeah, say, it's like a, it's yes, like, yeah, yeah it's there's right. like, yeah, you, you're gonna fight with us. Well, we're gonna kill your women and children. And I, I went to this one place and having a video, and you got these three co- apartment complexes, and each one of them are hit the exact same spot from the fifth floor to the ground. The whole building's going. Is this women and children living in this these buildings? Like thousands of people, like killed, and they're you know air striking it. And, What's the, I mean, the end game on that? Because you, you got to either kill all of them. Because if you don't kill every single one of them, they're gonna they're gonna hate each other. I mean, they yeah. hate they hate them for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and Russia yeah. wars last twenty years. Yeah, they'll keep they'll keep they'll just I keep mean, at this. I, I think I think it's it's going to continue to get worse. It kind of has to get worse. Uh, to, to oh sure, I mean, so, you know Zelensky can't back yeah, down, man. but Putin's not going to back down. And he then, can't. Yeah, he can't. He's Russian. <laughs> yeah, he can't. Yeah, <laughs> he's got to yeah. die. Yep. And Zawinski's, or win. Zawinski's, the Ukrainians believe they're winning, so Zawinski can't forfeit land. And uh, I mean, who, which one of your kids do you give up? Like, say that out loud. <laughs> yeah. Like if you if you, if you if you're watching a fight go down, say them two factors. Yeah. So do you think it'll just go on for another, how, like our wars, like the ten? Till those leaders die. Yeah, I think so. I think, die, I think right? I think it'll keep going. I mean, I think there'll be there'll there'll be some kind of like line at some point that'll be established and they'll hold that line and they'll fight there. Like you know, the, the yeah like yeah. Do you yeah. think we'll ever get involved? We are. I we're, mean, we, like we're we're by proxy, like uh, I mean, at war in Russia right it's the now. Worst. We're, but our <laughs> troops aren't in the Ukraine. Are no, they? no, yeah. they're not. And uh, but if we would not move them out of Ukraine, this would have never happened. Uh, you know, I think because uh, of Article Five, that, that Putin would have never went into Ukraine if we would have not moved them out. We moved them out, and we moved our embassy out. We moved our consulate out, and that made all the NATO move out, which created a vacuum for getting green light for Russia to just come in. When did that happen? Uh, in February, like right. Oh, that's yeah. when it happened. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So as, as soon as we moved out. Russia moved in. Yeah. And so, you know, and I think, I think Afghanistan ties to this, right? Because uh, you show how we handled Afghanistan and Putin's like empowered and emboldened. And then, uh, and unfortunately, the next step is China because China's watching this and they're watching us deplete our military surplus and send, send billions of dollars. And, uh, and now they're, you know, they're looking at Taiwan and they're waiting to uh, watching us weaken ourselves. And, you know, Taiwan, Taiwan will be next because they believe, just like Putin believes Ukraine belongs to the Soviet Union, Taiwan believes. Uh, China believes Taiwan belongs to them, and so this this is a this is a chain like in the series of events that puts us in a really bad spot. So tell us about the fall of Afghanistan. Well, um, with the, my experience with disease was probably a little different than most interpreters. Uh, most interpreters experience because I, I, at my unit I was a, what's called AFO, Advanced Force Operator, and so uh, I did, I wasn't like a kinetic assaulter on my on my unit. I, I went out ahead of my unit. 
to do all the clandestine infrastructure to build the, the network that we use to put assaulters on targets. So usually in a, in, when you're going to non-permissive areas, there's a, a AFO team that goes in advance and builds the, the way to clandestinely get on target. And so that's what I did. And usually you work with like one other teammate. Uh, I was assigned, I had another SEAL that worked with me and, uh, or, or you work in a singleton capacity. And so towards most of my time, I worked in a singleton capacity with Aziz. Uh, so I worked by myself with Aziz and uh, all of the, you know, Afghanistan across the border and Pakistan. Uh, and uh, we did all eight, but for continuity purposes, we did all eight of my deployments together. So really, uh, yeah. So, so like most interpreters, right. You get a different interpreter every time for my, wow. for, so I had, I had Aziz for all eight of these deployments. So we became very, very close. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, he, and he, he was at that command for 15 years as interpreter that command for 15 years, but I was, just, I was for this operation, it was me and him. Wow. And so like, uh, I say he saved my life specifically on three times. Uh, he just got awarded by recognized by Congress for saving uh, operation that he and I did where he, 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 I mean, I was like assigned to be the team lead for this organization operation, but he really led the operation. And we went at, we went in an all night operation to move four team guys out that was caught in a, and uh, a QRF would have created more problems. Uh, and, but he, uh, he led this operation. Yeah, people hear, hear people talk like that and like, ah, SEALs, they wouldn't get in there. Like, yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, our asses in pickles all the time. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, those guys, it's th a thing. Those four, those four team guys would have, could have killed their way out of there, no problem. But to protect the, the operation, they needed to be moved out and, and extracted in a clandestine way. And, uh, and, and I was like trying to problem solve it. And Z was just like, hey, let's accommodate our vehicle, let all that operation. And we got those guys out and their equipment out. And, and the, the operation was never compromised because of him. So, uh, so Congress wow. just recognized him for that, but, uh, which was cool because I think he was the first Afghan recognized by Congress. But, wow. but, but he, he, rec he saved my life like multiple times. And uh, I could even share a couple of stories, but funny stories. But, uh, but your brother said it best, like when he, when he'd give, he, your brother spoke at Aziz's welcome home party. He said, you know, guys like Aziz, they save our life every day. Like, don't walk there. Don't talk to that person. Don't eat that. Right? They, they just, and he would always put himself before me. And when we went out in the mountains operating, I didn't go back to Bagram and he went home. I went to his house. Like Hatra, his wife would cook my first warm meal out of coming out of the mountains. Mm -hmm. And I was, I held Mashud and Mashudai's, his oldest kids when they were babies. I held them. They're their family to me. Yeah. And so when the withdrawal was happening, I was worried about a couple of things. One, I didn't believe we should the withdrawal should have been done happened the way it was right. and, and uh, but i couldn't do anything about that but i was also worried about my friend and i wasn't gonna leave him there and i made a decision to you know put a team together to go get him it needs to be or is there uh -huh. if there is it's probably not streamlined when we when we get sent in to do something like this the minute yeah. the turp straps up there's a yeah. pipeline yeah just like with anything else and it's as soon as we we they get done with us they come over there's a spot that's this it's that and the other some of those are the best americans we'll ever have yeah. Oh, yeah. Hardest fighting, best guys. I mean, just. Well, one of the things about Aziz, and I've been saying this a lot, I've been speaking uh, uh, about this book, is I remember like, you know, I wasn't a kid when I went to, I had already been around for like, you know, nine years in special operations. So I had a lot of experience and but I don't think, I, I, I thought I was super mature then, but I probably didn't have a lot of life experience that I thought I had. But I remember like being on these having the conversations with him and he'd be talking about like freedom and democracy and fighting and willing to die for it in a way that I never heard an American talk yeah, about yeah. it before. And this is like, like talking about for his daughters to be able to be educated and not be forced to be married. He didn't have daughters yet by the time but he's talking about this. And, uh, and I'm like, this guy's never even seen freedom. He's never even seen democracy before, but he understands it's better than I even do. And he's willing to die for it. Mm -hmm. And like, so a lot of these guys, they they have such a contrast and what Americans become naive or, or, or uh, just accustomed to and take for granted, frankly. Oh, that, we uh, had to do the same thing. We yeah. lived through it. Now it's getting taken for granted. It's on the yeah. opposite end of yeah. it. But mm. The fire and the taste yeah. is what he had. 
And when you see somebody that has the original taste for it, you 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 understand it. Yeah, I mean, he he was. He was a you know a, a 1776 American like, like <laughs> just the fact that we were sitting in uniforms as a cohesive unit lets yeah. you know how far it went. Yeah, like we show up with with the stuff that we do, and then they're in the original 1776 version of it, wanting to fight for it. Yeah, and, and for us, it taught us a valuable lesson as this is what it was like in the beginning. Same age as you? He, he's, he just turned forty. Yeah. So I'm forty-seven. He just turned forty. Yeah. For Afghan, I'm, I'm, I'm probably way younger than him. Yeah. Yeah. Catches up in the end. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. For sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So we, you know, we. I mean, and by the way, like a lot of people don't agree with me on the withdrawal, but I, I don't feel like I believe American people were lied to to say that we were in this twenty-year war, this endless war. I mean, I, obviously, I didn't want my son. My sons keep fighting the same war I fought in, like we were talking about earlier. But to say that we had to exit this war uh, and, and leave Afghanistan in the way we did it was just not true. I mean, we were not in a 20-year war. When President Trump dropped that move in, uh, in 2018, the conventional war was over. We had shifted to support and advisor role of the Afghan National Army and Afghan National Police. We could have just declared the war over at that time. And in, in the Bagram Air Force Base, the most strategic place in the globe between Iraq, Iran, Russia, and China, and we needed that location. In the international community, we're all participating with us. At one point, we had 2,500 troops there. We were all participating to support the Afghan National Army to keep the Taliban at bay in the mountains of Afghanistan. It was actually working, this international effort. And, you know, historically, we haven't, we've kept contingencies after wars. We have 80,000 troops still in Japan and 40,000 troops in Germany and 35,000 in South Korea. And for those that think, oh, there's a warmonger for saying that, like, like, I think that prevents wars. That right. keeps us from wars by having these contingencies. So the, to keep a 2,500-man uh, contingent force in, on Bagram Air Force Base and, and turn it over to the international community would have been the right strategy, not to do a full withdrawal. And then we moved out our, our military. We shut down Bagram Air Force Base. We moved out our military before we moved civilians out, before we moved our allies out, before we moved our $85 million equipment out, and we gave the NEO operation uh, from the from the DOD, the non-combatant evacuation operation from the DOD, we gave it to the State Department, and they did not know how to handle that. That's not their job to do it. And so we, and one of the things they did, the big mistakes they did, the White House and the State Department is they gave a date to withdraw and not terms. Instead of saying like we'll leave when we get every American out, when we get right. our equipment out, when we get our allies out, yeah. they, they give a date, and the I Taliban did not budge on that date. Sense. It's very much common sense, and I, that's why I don't think it was a mistake. I don't think it was a blunder. Or a debacle, like people say. I think it was deliberately done that way for ulterior motives. Yeah. There's always, hey, <laughs> something like that. Look right here because something else is going down over. I mean, China had so much to gain for us leaving. The mineral rights in the Hanukkah Mountains, which I said before that, and people call me a conspiracy theorist, but we left on August 31st, and in the first week of September, China had the mineral rights to the Hanukkah Mountains, and trillions of dollars of Bro, lithium. they call that, back in the day, <laughs> it used to be called Candyland. Yeah. Trillions of dollars worth of lithium. The jewelry, there. the jewels yeah. in the ground, every, that, yeah. the yeah. minerals yeah. in that ground. Yeah. Before is, I didn't know when Alexander came around and did his whole thing, all the towns of Alexandria, Alexandria, yeah. uh, Kandahar, we used to be called Alexandria. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. And then you go further back to it, the, the overall reference back in them days was it was Candyland because of all yeah. the, the riches. And then, then you have, 
Iran has sanctioned oil. Yep. China needs oil. The only thing that was between China and that sanctioned oil was a U.S. military in, in Afghanistan. So now they're already moving that oil. Uh, and then Bagram Air Force Base, the strategic military location, which would have been incredible for us for Russia and China uh, and Iran and Pakistan ISI. All those places, we, we're not there anymore, nor are any of our allies there anymore. In fact, China and our, our enemies occupy it. So those, there was a lot of things that I didn't agree with, but the one thing that I could actually do something about was to go get my friend. And, uh, and so that's what we chose to do. Well, good on you for doing that. Can you tell us a little bit about that day? Yeah, well, um, there's a lot that goes into that, that story. Uh, there's a guy named Bashir who I mentioned earlier, he rolled on rolled over to the Taliban while he was working for us. He was a, he was a government, U.S. government intelligence uh, uh, trained person that was on our team. He rolled, flipped over to the Taliban, compromised our operation. He's the one that had the V-bid driven my house, uh, had me, had me uh, abducted by a, a neighboring country for an intelligence agency, uh, went, got, had some of our guys killed, and, uh, and then ultimately uh, was going after Aziz. Uh, after that happened, you got abducted. Yeah, so, in Afghanistan. Uh, in a neighboring country. So, oh my gosh! Yeah, I'll tell you guys when the microphone's off. <laughs> okay. But uh, holy shit, that's yeah. crazy. So this guy Bashir, um, and I write I write about him in the book. He he, he had a he had a really uh, he really had it out for Aziz. And we so our command went after him. Your 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 guys went after him and, yeah. ca and caught him, and so we got him. And he had like he had like. A journal with like this is where Chad sleeps, this is where you know so and so sleeps, this is where so and so sleeps. This is there they're deviating near times and routes, and here's the times and routes they're using, and here's where the safes are. So he was like for months like tracking us, and uh, so so uh, he went to jail at Bagram Jail, then he went to Polacharki Jail, then he went to Saudi Arabia. He was released during a prisoner release in like 2011. When, when Obama let a bunch of people out, and so he goes back to the Taliban, and as soon as like in April, he starts going to Kabul and looking for some of our old guys, and so Aziz goes on the run. So Aziz was like our ticking clock, like Bashir was like looking for him, and so we uh, so we started trying to find ways to go get him out, and I put together a call, I start calling guys that had ASO or AFO level backgrounds that had that singleton ability to work without a lot of resources, and I was also looking for guys, and you appreciate this probably. I was looking for guys that already already had their wild oats of combat zone. I didn't want yeah. a bunch of guys that are out there looking to go fight the Taliban because yeah. that's not what we're going there to do. And, uh, you know, I knew we probably wouldn't even be armed. And uh, so I didn't want anybody that was going to go out there and, you know, try to get some. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so mature guys. And so we put together this team and, and, uh, and we had guys, we had some team guys. We had uh, Green Berets, Force Recon guys, and a few guys from Ground Branch that had some really good precision rescue experts uh, and uh, paramilitary officers that are precision rescue experts. And so as we put planning together go, to go get Aziz's wife and six kids, this one of the guys that had uh, brought into our attention that was 3,500 orphans. And that was kind of a moment that we kind of paused and said, uh, hey, like, look at the experience we have. We all, like, pretty strong people of faith and felt God was burning our hearts to, to help. And so we just said, uh, you know, let's help as many people as we can, Americans, interpreters, uh, women, children, Christians that we persecuted. And so we made a decision to do that. And honestly, we've gotten a lot of credit since. And and uh, in, in the Bible, it's 2 Corinthians 11.30 says, if you boast, boast in your weakness. Uh, I can boast in my weakness here because all we did was probably was obedient to that burden that we had in our heart. And then after that, we I believe we saw a divine miracle. Like in the next three days, the, there was a series of events that happened that uh, that allowed us to be able to not only rescue Aziz and his family, but 17,000 people. And if any one of those things didn't work perfectly and none of us had any control over them working, if any one of those things didn't work perfectly, we would have never been able to do it. 
the first was that uh, Sarah Verardo contacted the Joint Chiefs and used her influence to get the Joint Chiefs to allow us as civilians to fly foreign military aircraft on the DOD-controlled HKI airport to land it there, go outside the wire, which the military wasn't even allowed to go outside the wire, go outside the wire, get people, bring them back in, manifest them, and fly them to a third-party country. That's, like, impossible. And I believe that was a miracle that we were allowed to do that. Secondly, now we're going to fly people out of that country they don't, they're, they're SIVs, P1, P2 visa applicants, but they don't have visas, so we can't fly them to the States. We, we, and, you know, a lot of people gave us a hard time, like, you guys are bringing people, we don't even know who they are. I'm not the State Department. I don't, have, I don't have the ability to bring people to the United States. I just have the, we just had the ability to evacuate people, but we needed a legal place to bring them because if you move someone without a visa to another country, that's human trafficking. And I've been joking, saying the only place you could do that is Laredo, Texas. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but, uh, but, but we, uh, but we, we called, we had a con connections with the royal family in UAE and we called them and within an hour call, they gave us permission to use their humanitarian center, rolled out the red carpets with doctors and resources and everything. And then in addition to that, they said, we'll give you a C-17 plane with pilots and if you fill it, we'll give you another one. Then after that, Glenn Beck, radio show host Glenn Beck called me and he said, hey, I just went on the radio to raise, I thought I raised a few thousand dollars to help out, but I got, in three days, I got $21 million. Like, what do I do with it? Oh, shit. How about like, <laughs> Yeah. We How about that freaking guy, man? Yeah, he ultimately raised $46 million. And, and I just said, man, I need you to charter a plane. So he, he Mercury One's his charity. Rudy Atala, this amazing dude named Rudy Atala, he, Glenn game, assigned him to us, and he just chartered planes for us. And it was, it was just Glenn incredible. Glenn is an amazing human being. Oh, incredible. He, I mean, yeah. I don't, we could talk. Uh, he's all the first one I met when I got back. Yeah. Oh, really? He, yeah. he was like, he's awesome. He really took Marcus. He, he wrote the his, forward on this too. Oh, did he? Yeah. He's smart. That knows something about everything, man. He is brilliant. Great family too. He gave a speech at our wedding. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, we freaking love Glenn. We haven't talked to him in a long time, but I have. I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I check in. I make sure I check in with the family. Just uh, it's it's been. Uh, when Marcus and I team. met, I told you like we met and everything happened super yeah. quick. But he took me on this like tour of people to get approval from. Like uh -huh. I needed it. <laughs> people chat. needed. I didn't realize that was what was happening, but that's what was going <laughs> you're getting, on. You're getting interviewed. Yeah, I was getting interviewed. Good, good to go. Glenn okay. was one of the, Glenn and his wife were one of those uh, checkpoints of. I kind of got pass, passed around when I got back. Did she pass yeah. the test? And I fell in love with that family. They're yeah, a great they're awesome. family. Yeah, yeah he, he talked to me like I was a kid, dude. Like, hey, look, I need you. Yeah. What are you doing? Like, hey, you know. But he has the biggest freaking heart. He does. Yeah. He really does. Yeah, he he gave us the he gave me the Bonhoeffer Angel Award for doing this, and and uh, honestly, like, in Congress recognized the only thing we did was said was said yes, and then like I said, I seen God do perform a miracle, and that first ten days we didn't know how much time we would have. But our ground team, C. Spray, Sean G., Tim Kennedy, they were going outside the wire at the airport. We had the team Timmy. in Abu Dhabi. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so it was just like nonstop. Oh, yeah. Tim's Tim <laughs> man. A lot of people get, give him such a hard time, man. He was, Why? Who uh, does? Uh, it's who, crazy. Who? Oh, man, the Green Beret community. That's what I was talking about earlier with her. Like, the Green Ash. Beret community, like, went after him. And, but it's like, this dude, like, he was offered, like, a lot of money to go. He volunteered to come here. He didn't have to do this. <laughs> he didn't have to do this at all. Yeah. He just, oh, and, uh, everyone but, likes to talk smack. Yeah, but he, he, uh, so we we had 10 days. We didn't know how much time we had, but no one stopped, man. From the ground team to Sarah in Washington, D.C., if you stop for like five minutes, you're like somebody's, you train that five minutes for somebody's life. You're like, Sea Spray lost 37 pounds in 10 days. And, uh, and, and when that, when that air, when the, uh, the Abbey Gate was blown up and 13 of our service members died, the military welded those gates shut and uh, our military was forced to leave. But 
we didn't have to, so we chose to stay. And I think there was a lot of reasons we chose to stay, but one of them was the White House saying there was 100 Americans left. And I, like without debate, there were thousands of Americans still there. Um, and the White House is saying, all they got yeah. to do is go to, go to the airport. One of our friends, yeah. one of the uh, guy that Marcus was in the team with. Yeah. Was, Bunch of them, actually. He was one of the very last to like get out. And he wasn't there like rescuing people. He was there working, had yeah. been there for months. And like no one knew that he was still there. His wife was flipping out. Well, the she White House was saying that they just have to get to the airport. And the, the ta- but the, the State Department gave the Taliban the outer perimeter. And so they controlled who got in and out of the airport and they were murdering people in the streets. So like if you're like some 20-year-old girl that went there to do missionary work or right, medical aid or right. teach, like you're not going to show your blue passport to the Taliban. And so they were trapped there. And uh, and so, but the truth is it didn't matter if there was a thousand or a hundred Americans there, like you don't leave one American there. And, right. uh, and so we were like, I mean, you know, where we come from, we like scorched earth to go get somebody, even like Bo Birdall, like the idiot mm-hmm. trader. Like we, we knew we were going to lose guys to go get him and people did anyway. Like, uh, I mean, you don't leave Americans behind. The White House even promised they wouldn't, but they did. And so we chose to stay. We, a lot of other amazing nonprofits worked together. Mercury One, Task Force Argo, Pineapple. Like we're all coordinating stuff. And, and we got another 5,000 people out over two months from that uh, Mazda Sharif. And then when that airlift dried up, um, we knew we still had to do more because the Panjir Valley became a, a collective place for all these people that were trying to survive. And I got him, uh, if you... If, Listeners know who Ahmad Massoud is. He was the leader of the Northern Alliance, which Bin Laden brilliantly killed him the day before 9-11 to break, break our alliance before it started. His son uh, stood up the resistance in Panjir Valley. So everyone's going there, and the commandos are trying to evacuate women and children across the Tajikistan border. But we knew, and you know, knowing, and I know you're familiar with this area, like the mountains are 25,000-foot peaks. The the valleys are, in the, even in the summertime, this is like September, but the weather is still horrible in the, in, the, in the winter and then Taliban's saturated this area and then the Tajikistan border is the Panjir River which is category 5 rapids it's ice melt water if it stops moving it freezes uh, so they had this obstacle with the river or cliffs and stuff like that so, worst environment imagine. yeah worst environment oh, imagine. that's all I gotta say yeah and then, then the Chinese military were there the Russian military was there the Tajikistan border guard was there so they like they need information how to cross and so that's our expertise, right? You do a, uh, a route recon or, yeah. or fording reps. And so I, uh, that's where Dennis came in. And I reached out to Lieutenant Colonel Tommy Waller, uh, who's his commander at Third Force Recon. And, and the military wasn't allowed to participate. But I just thought, man, he's, he has all the skill sets to, to do this, to be my partner on this. He wanted to go. And so I called uh, him and, I, and he said, I don't know, put in a, let's put in a writing. To, he comes on a humanitarian mission with you. And, and they cut him loose and to let him come, so, uh, which is another miracle. And, and so we went. Uh, we did. We flew into Tajikistan. We flew about, drove about twelve hours through those mountains and spent ten days on that border. Did about ninety miles of border reconnaissance, and at night we swim into across the river in Afghanistan and uh, and build those fording routes out. We built six routes out, and like literally between, like sometimes within thirty yards of the Taliban and uh, Chinese. How about that man military. doing doing that kind of work is the sexiest job. Those are the missions we all signed up for. That was you were saying. He's like, well, this is this is like stuff we signed up. This is like doing it for the church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like, he's like, this is just. A, I mean, honestly, it was just route recons and yeah, and yeah, for, I know, and reps. But it's but it's like a but like there's like this is our bread and butter. Like this is what, shit, yeah, and, uh, and I had done it a long time. My wife's like, you hadn't done this in a long time. What are you going out there and do this for? And I'm like, and she was she started crying and was really upset. And we were going to the airport and she was okay with the air the evacs of HKIA, but she was not okay with this because she's like, you got to swim in Afghanistan. And I'm like, no, I won't. But uh, but uh, I'm but I was like. 
what, what if this was us? You know, like what if it was my daughter that was going to be sexually enslaved the rest of her life or my sons would be forced to become Taliban, you know, terrorists? Like wouldn't we be praying someone would come help us? And, and we had the ability to do it. I felt God was opening those doors. And so Yeah, we, next we time you see one of us walking around on the outside, it's be like, you know, that's, that's probably one of the ones that, that goes and gets the, You'll never see us do anything else other than that, man. Except when them freaking horrible jobs come up. Yeah. And that's what we're for. So did Mercury One, uh, Glenn Beck's nonprofit, did they fund all of that for you staying for so long? And No, um, Mighty Oaks Foundation uh, did a lot of the initial funding. Uh, we stood up Save Our Allies, which Sarah Broder, I'm not on the board there anymore, but I helped set it up. And uh, Sarah Broder is still there. And, and, uh, and so we pushed a lot of funding through them. Mercury One paid to charter all those flights. Uh, and we, we did some of them ourselves, but Mercury One chartered most of those yeah. flights. Millions of dollars. But you were just able to get all the funding just from straight up fundraising I just, during I was, that time. I was doing operations. I was planning operations. I was coordinating fundraising. It was so much 24-7. Where do we go to buy a C-17? Can we buy those? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> probably Afghanistan doing right now. Didn't they oh, yeah, them? probably. <laughs> yeah. I hey, you want to go get our guns back? <laughs> yeah, I know where they're at. <laughs> I, I know where they're at, yeah. And they're for sale, too. By so. the way, these are our toys. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to take Parents them Parents left them here. We're coming to get them back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. my god. That's gosh. what I have to tell myself so I don't lose my mind. Have you yeah. stopped and pinched yourself yet? Like, that you actually lived this, you know, this is actual reality for you. It sounds like a crazy-ass... Yeah. Movie, like an Expendables kind of thing, but... At the time, it seemed like... It, when you're real time with something like that, it doesn't seem crazy right. at all, right? It seems like it makes sense. You, yeah. You know, when you just look back at it. How about that? But uh, honestly, I had, a, I had a moment like flying there because I've dealt with a lot of anxiety, panic attacks, high, like high blood pressure, like going to ER with like... And so I, I had been fine for a long time, but I was thinking like, man, like what if I get out there in those mountains and like Dennis got four kids at home? What if I end up in this situation? So I really... And uh, for the last 12 years, I've been, you know, speaking to these recruits at MCRD and thousands of troops and talking to them about spiritual resiliency. And, I'm, and I said, when I went to Afghanistan the first time, those four pillars, I, had, I was mentally strong, physically strong, socially, I was the right team, but I didn't have the spiritual pillar and how I almost lost everything. And if you had all four of them, right, you would, you would have what it takes. And, and, uh, and I was like, man, I've been teaching that in theory. I never tested it. And uh, so I'm on that plane and just starting to be worried about that anxiety. And I just prayed that God, God you burned my heart to be here. Yeah, I need you to take away anything that physically or physiologically that's going to keep me from doing this and helping these people and I felt like a tremendous peace I told Dennis about it on our layover I said hey man I'm dealing with this he said yeah me too and uh, we prayed together and then we got on a plane and we flew in the, there you know, you know what that is right we didn't have that in the beginning yeah. I, I missed that too <laughs> yeah it's like because you have all three of those but there's the one missing mm-hmm. and it's the one that makes you feel okay yeah yeah. it's the biggest one it's the biggest <laughs> one because there's no it. fear yeah. I mean you know how much fun we have even if it's a straight up fight yeah. I mean, like brawl to brawl. If you yeah. know that's your ass is supposed to, that's what you're supposed to be doing. But, but, yeah, because you don't tell us that part, right? If you know that's. But that, when the boss rings down, he's like, "Not only are you supposed to do that, you need to do it with everything you got." Yeah, don't it's the right thing back. to do. Don't, yeah. You're the one that was designed for that. Yeah, and you can immediately tell when someone's in there who wasn't, who's not listening. Yeah, because their ass gets. I mean, it's yeah. funny. You can just it's see like, it plain as day. It's like I created you for this, and I orchestrated this. Yeah. To be. I mean, honestly, that was one of my biggest things that gave me peace. Is like. Even if there was bravado inside of me that I don't see to go do this, which I'm, course, I'm sure a lot of people think that's what this is about, but even if there was, there was no way for me to orchestrate that to happen. Oh, no. To get to, to get on that border to Tajikistan, that border was closed. We we got we got we got the G bow permits, like to get on that border. That border was closed. For them to have two Americans go in there, look like us, to go on that border, like 
I mean, God orchestrated us to be there. Yeah. And so just know, knowing that was gave me the, like a piece, like we're supposed to be doing this. Mm-hmm. Well, we're we're supposed was, to be. There's a difference we were talking earlier, man. There's a, there's an age gap between if you believe in a coincidence and then when you see past all that. Yeah. And when like when, when something happens to you, that's a normal day. Yeah. If one of those, what the, how'd that happen? If there's two of those, you're not behind the wheel. Go. <laughs> yeah. that, and it's easy. It's open gate, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really cool when, when you're seeing that, and it's even better when there's somebody next to you. Yeah. And you're like, bro, did you just catch that? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. That was cool. We were on the same page. For right? anybody yeah. doing his work, so. Yeah. And, uh, and we were, one of the things we prayed for is that we wouldn't get tired because we knew we weren't going to sleep for 10 days. Yeah, and, uh, like, we were not sleeping, like, you know, Two hours a day. You just never got tired. Yeah, that's cool, right? We, we had one team guy <laughs> tried to, uh, that was a, he was 18 Delta too, and he's like, he's, he, was, he was doing a, our like kind of uh, what lo- local, like like local survey. He was like giving us the, the lay of the land. He's like, you cannot cross that river. He's like, uh, you're going to, I was messing with him in the book. He's actually a really cool guy, but I was bust, busting him in the book because he's like, uh, He's like, you get in that river, like it's so cold, your body's gonna cramp up. And I'm like, well, the water freezes the same in Colorado as it does. The, the water doesn't freeze any colder in, in Afghanistan. And uh, I've been in that cold water before. And and uh, but he was but he was busting our chops and we built across that river. And it was cold. I give it that. <laughs> it took it took the breath of your lungs. Team guys hate cold water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we won't go anywhere near. Like, hey, bro, go ahead. I'd have been fired up. Like, sure you can. Matter of fact, I I'm not the one. You you can do it. <laughs> they hate cold water, but every Ooh. year on Christmas Eve Eve, him and Hunter jump in the coldest water. <laughs> yeah. Every Christmas Eve Eve, and this year, Christmas Eve Eve was the coldest day in, like, history for better, Texas. Huh? Of, Earth, in, of the Earth. History yeah. of the Earth. And they literally, <laughs> they ran we barefoot <laughs> and jumped in a pond. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they do it every, every year. year. Oh, but cool. he hates cold water, and he's still... subjects himself to it. I almost had a heart attack. I almost killed him. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to run back up. I was like... I, I, I used to feel super tough doing doing the cold water stuff, but now they got like now they got like a uh, you know fifteen year old girls doing. Oh, the, I the, saw that. The, the, the plunges. It's the, a thing. I'm like, ah man, like it took they took the toughness away from. I was like, yeah, yeah. There's a thing. It's, there's a, it, it works. Yeah, I mean it's real. It really does work. It's a thing, man. But woo. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, your story is just incredible. So when you were able to actually get him out, were you able to get him to the U.S.? Yes. So I, I, I so actually I, I want to make sure I give credit like. The guy who actually got him out was, uh, we were coordinating, trying to move. We tried eight times because that, that airport was crazy. Like, mm-hmm. th- you've seen it on the news, thousands of people and people getting trampled to death and people surfing their babies over and trying to throw their babies over yeah, the wall in the Constantino so wire. Like, Joe, Joe Robert kind of five dead babies in the Constantino wire because as they're throwing these babies over, they didn't oh know gosh. there was Constantino wire on the other side. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so, like, the level of desperation, like, he, he was getting shot at. He's got Mosh, Mosh Kaur, his youngest is uh, six years old at the time. He's seven now and, and to 18 years old, six kids. His wife had just had appendix surgery and it was bleeding. So it was like, and we finally got him uh, in, to, to the gate and Sean G was on one side. I was, I was talking to them both and Aziz was on the other side so we couldn't get to him. And uh, we called the guy, a power rescue guy who was in the, in the wire uh, and uh, his team agreed to go out and uh, let him in. And uh, so they they saved him and got him inside. And I got to meet him in Abu Dhabi, and we had our embrace there. And then we got him after nine months in humanitarian center. We got him here, and he lives right here in, in Magnolia. He does live in oh, Magnolia. He lives in Magnolia. Yeah. We have yeah. to take him to dinner. Oh, he loved that. He loved that. Oh my yeah. god. In fact, he was he was supposed to come here to meet you, and because I was telling him about, <laughs> I, like I said, I hadn't told many people about the other thing earlier, but he was part of that, and I was like, I wanted him to meet you because of that. Oh, the one who rescued me lives up the road. Yeah, yeah. 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 Gulab is in Fort That's Worth, awesome. so. Um, 
That is crazy. We should have dinner with your wife. And oh, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great. How many's with him? He's his wife and six kids. They're all here. They're all here, yeah. Yeah. Because they're the huge families over there. Yeah. The women yeah. are UFC champions. Yeah. yeah they can have <laughs> lots of babies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have lots of babies. Yeah. I... Hotcher, Hotcher is like, she's awesome. She's got such a funny personality yeah, and great. she's awesome. They go to our church with us at Woods Edge now. And, so uh, you want to know how wonderful Abgani and those women are? You know that because their men keep them away from us. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know anything about those cultures or anything like that, man. They are. They're, they're, they're wonderful people, man. Yeah. I tell that's those people all the time, them. like, that's like, I, it's been sad. I've been on a few interviews that people are like, just because people served with, you know, with us doesn't give them the right to be, you know, our neighbors. And, and it's, it's been real disappointing. It's like Crips and Bloods. Yeah. yeah. I, I, the best way, I, I had a chief break it down for me earlier because I was, ner- you know, I didn't know. You're looking at those maps. There's the grid and the city. It's like, all right, man, just imagine you're the world police. Right. And we just threw you in the town. These are the bangers you're going to get. Yeah. I mean, it's a different kind of gang, but the same principle. Only you're highly trained. Yeah. Highly, highly trained. And then you get your guys that come in. Imagine a guy on, on – because we have Iraqis, Afghanis that are American. They're, they're sitting there with us. Only problem is we didn't give him a uniform. Right. So they knew who he was, mm-hmm. our, our Terps. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're the, they got the most, most dangerous job there is. Oh, yeah. And were we going when we are not on deployment? They're still there. They left behind, and their families are at risk. They're, they're passed down. Yeah. One of, one of the things that— If they're real good, we'll pass them down. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. One That's of the things that, that made me so mad during the evacuation was President Biden got on the news and said, if, we, if these people won't fight them themselves, then why should we fight for them? 60,000 of them died fighting for their country. That's like the equivalent racial-wise based on the population, like our civil war. Like 60,000 people, hundreds of thousands of Afghanistan fought. They were fighting for freedom, and, and, we, were, and, we, and we gave them that for 20 years. Yeah. And, uh, and we now took it look away. what's happening with all the stuff with the women and yeah, it's they can't. Awful. They took medical care away last week. They uh, they said that they can't go see male doctors, but they can't be educated to be doctors, and they can't be doctors. So there's no women's health care. I mean, they're already selling nine, nine, ten year old girls again. Uh, <sighs> so it's and no one's speaking up for it. And, uh, People understand when when something powerful is standing against something that can't defend itself. Right. I mean, at all. You can't even talk back. You know, the weakest thing on the planet and the strongest thing. If they're in a room together, they they freaking know it. Right, and there, there's, there's a not only a separation with money and power. There's that physical power. Yeah. A lot of people we have in power don't actually possess it. We let them hold it, mm-hmm. and then you got people who actually have power. You know, when you walk into a room, nothing bothers you. No human, no nothing like that's gonna mess with you. That is a power. Yeah, it's like being good looking or smart or something. It's yeah. the ultimate one, actually. Yeah, and hopefully, you, you know, when if you can negotiate, then it's then that's a power too. But if you're not very good at it, well, there's always this. It <laughs> yeah. ends everything. Do you yeah. think they'll end up doing just a civil war in just like in Afghanistan? Well, I think, think, think it'll be continuous. To, yeah, it'll it's going to go continuous. back to this thing, man. Yeah, it's going to go back to this. They're going to even the Taliban's going to fragment because uh, they're not going to like the way this guy's leading yeah, this, right, and they're yeah. going to start fighting each other. Oh uh, yeah, it'll just be. A, and then in like a hundred years, they get tired and then they go pick a fight with a big one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to yeah. show who. That's how they do it. Yes, man. they do it. Yeah, <laughs> think who, about who, it just like that. Who's really pulling the strings and all that is Pakistan ISI. They built the new Taliban, and they're they're they're. Yeah, they're, they're the Pakistan's intelligence agency there. And they've been Hatfield and McCoy's that whole yeah. area for yeah, forever. <laughs> ever since man, yeah. back when the well, when it rained. The they can't live with, they can't live without it. <laughs> no, yeah. Can, bro. yeah. Wasn't a lot of the guys that were fighting on the Taliban side for Red Wing were Pakistan, right? 
I thought I heard that at some point. Oh, on, on the Taliban yeah. side? On the, like in the Taliban, oh, yeah, yeah. there was yeah. a lot of the yeah, Pakistanis yeah. Yeah, yeah. in there. So uh, well, I, write a, I don't know if I write a button in a book or not, but uh, I'll tell you a story. You, you'll probably laugh at this story. So me and Aziz were in, you, you know what Peshawar is? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Uh, I figured you did. So Peshawar at the time, this was like 2006, like probably one of the worst cities in the planet to be in. So Peshawar is like right on the other side of the Tarkham border of, of Afghanistan, Pakistan. It's in the Pakistan side. And me and Aziz were doing our, our job there and, and we were just two of us and roll up to this little uh, place to get food. And it's like this Dairy Queen, concrete bitches. And, and there's some Pakistan military there. And we got some rice and some quail. That's why I always went there, the best quail. So we're eating. You know, while we're eating, this, uh, this trucks pull up, Hiluxes, black flags, their Taliban, like vest on, AK-47s, PKM on the top. And they're like, just got back from, they're coming from Tarkham. They're just got back from fighting U.S. troops probably. Yeah. And they're like, you know, get their mascara under their eyes and stuff. And I'm like, and so we're like, we're like checking them out. So we're still eating. And they sit down with the, with the Pakistan military, like hanging out. And, and one of them, uh, one of them sits on the other one's lap. He's got his AK. He sits on the other one's lap and puts his arm around him and, and they interlace fingers. And, uh, and he's got his legs crossed like a woman and he's got a Pepsi bottle uh, with a straw in it, drinking it like the gayest thing oh my <laughs> you ever seen. And, I, and I'm like, I'm like Aziz, I gotta get a picture. And Aziz is like, Don't do it, brother. Oh <laughs> Don't God. take the picture. I'm like, I got you, man. He's like, If you take that picture, they're gonna kill us. Oh <laughs> I didn't take, I didn't take the picture, but I wanted to tell it to uh, so bad. That would have been the best picture. That could oh, have been the cover. I wanted book. it so bad. <laughs> yeah, the hands interlaced, an AK in his hand, a, a Pepsi bottle with a straw. Oh, like oh. <laughs> they do have a lot of like homosexual like things that they do over there. Oh yeah, I feel like a yeah. lot of it is very. Yeah, the Taliban's a bunch of desh homos. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it is like. I know, I know they're, they're, I know they're listening, and they are. <laughs> they, they know it too. They know it too. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Well, a bunch of child molesting. Uh, yeah. Rape little. They rape little boys, yeah, the and, little and they, they start the generation generation of it over and over and over again. Yeah. That. There's so many, and a lot of the American public does not know about that. They don't know about the little, you know, man-boy parties or whatever that they have that all of y'all have seen. And yeah. it's normal for over there. But if if that was happening over here, yeah. all hell would break loose. It is, it is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Like, yeah, library time. And- yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> time it's probably worse. Yeah, it's awful. Well, I mean, you have... An incredible story. That is just, it's awesome. And I hope that this book does really well. Is there anything else? Yeah, you what's next? Add? I mean, what do we need to do? Yeah. How do people follow that? I mean, you, you can buy movie see, time. Yeah, it's already picked up. So, okay, yeah, oh, it's already oh, picked okay, up. Okay, good. Yeah, That's what is, I was yeah. We don't talk about that online, but I mean, yeah, when it, that comes down, always ask because we yeah. got plenty of dudes out there now. Yeah. Matter of fact, most of our guys have integrated into their world yeah. so that we've set set the chalks. Okay. Yep. Always yes. ask. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, Saving Disease could be, we have savingdisease.org, or you can get anywhere. Amazon's probably the easiest place, and I think it's the lowest price right now. And if you get it, get leave a review. I know that helps. Uh, but uh, yeah, Saving Disease is the book, and then a movie's going to be, uh, I'm not supposed to say much about it right now. Um, but uh, Oh, but then we won't the, put the, you on they, the, They're funny about that, man. But the, mo- mo- the movie is coming, and I, I can say it's coming. Yeah. And, uh, and it's going to be done, it's going to be done right. Uh, awesome. I had a lot of offers, and, uh, and, uh, and we picked someone that's going to do it. I think it's going to do it right. Good. Awesome. Uh, because, because it's, so important to tell it right. It's got to honor everybody. It's just like with anything else in that world. Yeah. I was yeah. blessed. Yeah. But they walked me through with just. Yeah, the Navy said, actually I mean, side by side. Up for him. Okay. I was covered down on big time. Okay, good. And uh, yeah. so much to the point that when they're like, hey, man, when the boy's coming up afterwards, make sure you pass this down. 
So that's what I do, man. If you if you guys need some help on something like that, at least direct you. If you got a name, you know how we do it. Yeah. It may be seven degrees from Kevin Bacon with us. It's one. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, if you don't know that dude, he definitely got somebody that can find it. Yeah. Period. Well, so, yeah, we got to fly and I'll tell you more about it. What, yeah. um... About Sarah, because uh-huh. she sounds like a freaking badass. She is, she, yeah. And I've messaged with her quite a bit. I feel like I'm already friends with her, but I yeah. haven't met her yet. Um, so she's running Save Our Allies. Is that something that you're going to keep up and running for any future conflicts or whatever? Yeah, I'm, they are working in Ukraine right now. Uh, I'm not sure like what they're going to do moving forward. But you know, Sarah, I think mainly Nick Pomachano uh-huh. is running it. Um and then yeah, Tim's still on the board. Sarah's on the board. So I'm not sure what they're going to do moving forward, uh, but uh, but they're still up and running right now. So um, people can go on to saveourallies.org yep, and donate. Yep. Yeah, okay. people go to see you know, we'll do it. We'll make it. We'll take it underground. Make it a secret society. <laughs> yeah. and just go yeah. in when the crap hits the yeah. fan. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and then, they've already made movies about it. You just got to put them together. <laughs> yeah, we just put them together. Yeah, and then and then you know, Mighty Oaks. We have our international effort. So and. Uh, and so that those you know both in fact at the, at the premiere of the book we promoted both save 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 our allies and mighty oaks foundation we promoted both organizations awesome so, yeah well yep. thank you yeah thank absolutely you for coming on and yeah absolutely what's up brother yeah, yeah. thanks so much man yeah thanks good to meet you brother yeah, yeah. this is awesome